And welcome to the program. Charles Moskowitz here. Thanks for joining me, everyone. Monday through Friday, 12 to 3, really, on, uh, on live on YouTube and on all the um, subscribing platforms. My guest this segment is Art Bell. Art is the author of the memoir, Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor, which will be coming, which will be due to arrive on your bookshelf and at Amazon Books in September of this year. Art, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Art, let's talk a little bit about your story, because this is really a, a, an, an autobiography. Um, let's go right to the very beginning. How did you get involved with, um, with Comedy Central? What is your background with that? Well, my background was never in comedy. The way I started this whole thing was I was really a comedy nerd as a kid. You know, read Mad Magazine, National Lampoon, uh, listened to all the records, Robert Klein and, you know, Lenny Bruce, really was almost a student of comedy when I was in high school. And when I got out of school, I thought, am I going to pursue entertainment and television? And the answer was no. So I went to work somewhere else uh, as an economist, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And then I decided a couple of years later, this, is, this isn't working for me. I got to get back into television or into television. Mm -hmm. And I ended up at HBO after that. But at HBO, I was not anywhere near programming. Now, the, uh, the, just as a little aside, because I think you and I are probably about the same age. And that is that I think back in the uh, maybe early to mid 60s, there was a lot of very popular comedy records. Um, Alan Sherman comes to mind. Um, hello, you know, mother. Hello, father. <laughs> I love that. But, but that seems to have gone by the wayside. I mean, it doesn't seem to be, you know, in a way, comedy seems to now be uh, somewhat reserved to either the late night talkers who will invite comedians on or Comedy Central where you have the skits and you've got um, – some uh, fil filming with uh, stand-up, but but um, it doesn't seem to quite reach the the across the uh, a crossover like it once did. Um, you're talking about now the way the situation yeah. is now. You know, it's really hard for me to comment. I will say this: I have kids who are in their 20s, and they are always dragging me to the TV and saying, "Dad, you got to watch this. It's fabulous." You know, when they're talking about um, Gary Goldman, for example, and right. uh, uh, um, you know, the, the, the comics that are popular today that they've discovered on their own. And on top of, on top of that, they're always on YouTube or, you know, oh, yeah. anywhere well, that's, on the that's, yeah. I think that is where the, the, any, anyone 20 and under is where, the, where they are, right? I mean, yeah. they'll cruise YouTube and then they'll go from there to other uh, sites. And, right. um but but so you so you started Comedy Central and you began programming there. Talk about Comedy Central. Well, uh, you know, I, I didn't really finish your last question. Go right ahead. Um, the way I the, <laughs> the way I got uh, to Comedy Central is this: I love comedy. So when I got to HBO, I started pitching the idea of a twenty-four hour comedy channel because basically I had no idea why there wasn't one. I mean, it was a, in the nineties. There were lots of new channels starting up. I thought, got to be a comedy channel. So I pitched the channel and they said it was a bad idea. Too expensive, nobody would watch it. You know, I just constantly got shunted aside. Mm -hmm. But as luck would have, one day I ended up uh, in the chairman's office and I knew the chairman loved comedy, so I pitched him. 
And he said, ah, that's kind of interesting. Why don't you do a feasibility study and get back to me in a few months, which I did. He liked it. We launched Common Channel. A year later, we launched, we merged with a competitive channel that had been launched after us by MTV Networks called Ha. And then we became Comedy Central. And from there, it's sort of the uh, history took care of itself. Were you, uh, how intimately were you involved in the programming element there? Well, from the beginning, um, as soon as Comedy Channel was launched, I was in programming. Uh, and there were many aspects of programming. One was acquiring product movies and, and uh, older television shows. Uh, and the second was the live programming. And that was a, really overseen by Stu Smiley, mm -hmm. who, was, who had been the head of comedy at HBO. Now, um, were you involved? I mean, was there scouting being done? Like, did you go out to Second City or, or different comedy clubs to um, try to try to see who was out there, sort of the way baseball works? Yeah, it is sort of the way baseball works because there are scouts. And I wasn't a scout. I was a programming exec. So the scouts tended to be um, a little bit younger, right out of college, smart kids. And they had a passion for staying up between 11 and 4 in the morning when the comics were mm. – were, uh, doing what they do at the clubs. So that's, that's really how we got access to new talent. And that's really how most comedians start out. I mean, I know that even Jay Leno started out here near where I am in Boston. He, I think he was in Lowell and, and working local uh, comedy clubs. I remember when he did that. And, um, you know, then from there, it's kind of the uh, place for the comedian to, to build their chops, right? To kind of try out material and then move up. Yeah, you know, th that early, the early stages of being a stand-up comic are tough because you're trying to get to five or six or seven minutes of good material, and you're rewriting it and reworking it and trying everything you can to make it good and better, and it takes a while. It's not like you get up there the first day and kill. Oh, I, I mean, I can, I can imagine it's extremely difficult to, to, you know, to actually get up and, and, and figure out what it would it is that would make someone laugh or someone be entertained, right? I mean, it's one thing to do a talk show where you could talk about news, but to get, you know, an audience, I mean, it's almost like a way of thinking. And it's also has everything to do, I think, with body language and with, you know, the use of the pause, you know, I mean, Jack Benny, of course, was the master of that. Right. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of your audience who has no idea who Jack Benny is. Right. But let me say this. I mean, you're, you're, it's not that you're overanalyzing it, but you're kind of overanalyzing it. You got to remember the people um, who get up there are people who are considered funny to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are people who were the class clowns and getting thrown out of class all the time. These are the ones who were, you know, entertaining people at parties with jokes or routines or whatever they wanted to do when they were in high school, you know? So it's not like, uh, for example, you could say, hey, you know what? Today, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. I wonder how that works. Um, it really is taken on by people who think they have some real talent in it uh, or for it. And they do. I mean, you know, they're, they're able to stand up there and tell the kind of thing, tell the jokes or, or do the routines they've been kind of doing since they were kids and see if they work. And also, I think a comedian has to know a certain genre of their audience uh, culturally speaking, like they have to be tuned into that. I mean, an example of that might be Jerry Seinfeld. 
and his thing. I mean, the, the, the show about nothing, right. It kind of captured a time and, and a I way think of thinking. That's, that's absolutely right. I mean, that's why one of the reasons that show was so successful. The other reason was the incredible talent involved in that show. Oh I yeah. Mean, Amazing. I saw I saw the first time I saw Jerry Seinfeld, I was working at HBO. Uh, I think it was 1986 or 1987. And it was in a small place in Minneapolis. And I happened to be sitting next to his, his manager. And Jerry did 45 minutes of material that absolutely destroyed the audience. I mean, people were sliding off their chairs. They were laughing so hard. And it was a pretty mixed audience because um, I was there for work and there were so uh, affiliates and advertisers, people of all ages and stuff. But he really had a broad appeal. And I turned to his manager and I said, you know, if I could buy stock in a comedian, I'd buy this kid. And he said, it's too late <laughs> because people already knew or were starting to know who Jerry Seinfeld was and what he could do. I think he had a very broad appeal. Has. A he did. Appeal. And he crossed over. But in a way, his comedy was it was making fun of the banal. You know, I mean, he would do an hour talking about lint in a washing machine or, you know, how food is placed on a plate. I mean, and it captured something, I think, that was going on in the culture. Um, also, comedians traditionally are the court jesters. I mean, this is a tradition that goes back to medieval times when the court jester would be allowed to say things that ordinary people couldn't say in the presence of the prince and, um, and get away with it. And that's sort of the role, I think, that... Um, well, certainly Johnny Carson played and Jack Parr, but all of the late night guys do that. Well, I think that's right. I mean, I always think of comedians and comedy generally as uh, sort of reflecting a point of view uh, with a comedy slant. But really, it's, it's, it's really looking, these comedians are looking at society and uh, regurgitating it for us so that we can look at it from a different perspective. Um, it's interesting you say, uh, you talk about comedians saying things they couldn't say. You know, we go back to Lenny Bruce, oh, who, yeah. was who was arrested on stage several mm -hmm. times or lots and lots of times. Yeah. Um, and then you fast forward to um, television comedy on Carson, on Sullivan in those days. It had to be clean. They had to work clean and they pretty much had to stay away from very controversial topics. Mm -hmm. uh, one exception to that, I always thought was Richard Pryor. The first time I saw him on, on Ed Sullivan, I actually write about it a little bit in the, mm -hmm. in the book. Um, he did a bit about being African-American and, you know, having a tough time on the playground as a kid. Sure. And I thought, man, that is really, really smart. That, and, and he, it was very funny. Um, but the point is, so that, they had to work clean. Then HBO comes along and adopts comedy. And remember, HBO's whole pitch was uncut and uncensored. So now you, you get George Carlin and mm. Robert Klein and Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and Whoopi Goldberg doing whatever they want, essentially. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm exaggerating. Those shows were very highly produced and rehearsed and everything else. But they could say what they wanted. They could use foul language. They could talk about uh, their boat and subjects. And, and that really moved comedy way ahead in terms of, uh, of uh, television. And then you had, like, in a way, probably starting in the 90s, a sort of a, uh, almost a blurring of the lines between comedy and news in the case of Jon Stewart and 
in, in particular, and uh, where people actually thought that he was a source for news. Right. I mean, it was sort of yeah. A that's different... right. Um, and that's a that's a tribute. That's a tribute to yes, the format, but it's also a tribute to John. I mean, he mm-hmm. was uh, spectacular at it from the get go. Oh yeah, for sure. I, and I think that's partly because he's smart and he's empathetic, and he uh, is a good person to deliver information. And he's very funny. So uh, interesting, you should bring it up because Comedy Central had a history of comedy and news combination before The Daily Show. In 1992, we did our first, what we call the State of the Union Undressed. State of the Union Undressed, what we did is we took the State of the Union, delivered by the president, live, we took the live feed, and we had comedians commenting over it and making jokes and comments as the speech was going on. And that was kind of, you know, that was kind of unheard of. And it brought in a lot of young people to the State of the Union address who otherwise wouldn't have been there. And you'll never guess who was the first, uh, the first host of the State of the Union address. I would not guess who. Al you. Franken. Ah, okay. Well, he, uh, he was, a, uh, he was a, uh, a writer for Saturday Night Live. And uh, he was pushed the envelope. I mean, a lot of the skits that he wanted to do were not, uh, they were too racy for them from what I understand. Yeah. And um, Saturday Night Live, of course, really almost institutionalized uh, political satire. Um, but in my opinion, I think it's it, it's kind of gone too far with Trump only because they don't seem to, they seem to have lost their sense of humor. I mean, it's so, it's so nasty and so like o- overtly political that you know, at some level, people think it's funny and they laugh because they think they're supposed to laugh, but it's not funny and it's backfiring on them, I think. Well, I, you know, I respect, I respect your opinion. I, it's hard for me to really say. I mean, what right. people find funny in political humor is uh, dependent on so many things, including your point of view on politics. For sure. So some people, as I said, they like the way their view of the world is reflected through that kind of comedy. And the people who don't view the world that way don't find it so funny. Um, whether you're getting tired of it or not is, is you know, another story. <laughs> I think we're all getting a little tired of politics, period. But this right. is season, right? Oh, for sure. And also, ethnic humor is something that went way out of style, obviously, after World War II. You know, before then, you'd have people making comedy skits with Hitler. Um, but it kind of made a, began to make a comeback, I think, with uh, people like Jackie Mason, who uh, could make fun of Jews because he was a Jew and he could do it fun, a very, in, a, in, a, in a very uh, kind of a, a positive way. Uh, but yet at the same time, he was able to do criticism um, through a comedic lens. And I think since then, you, you have a lot of that. What do you think? Um. I think ethnicity has been always been a large part of uh, of the comedy scene. I think that um, you mentioned Jackie Mason. I mean, you go back to the Borscht Belt comics, and mm-hmm. he was one of them. And most of them were Jewish, and they had all kinds of fun with yep. their ethnicity and describing to their audience 
their lives, which reflected their audience's lives in, ve in very funny ways. I'm particularly fond of Alan King, actually, uh, from that yes. era. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that another example, again, I mentioned it, is uh, uh, Pryor, Richard Pryor, who's you know, oh, yeah. got to be considered, if not one of the top five, the best stand-up comedian and one of the best comic talents ever. I mean, he was oh, spectacular. He, he really, you know, he, he I, we could do an hour on Richard Pryor, and I'm not the world's foremost expert, but he went through a lot of different phases of uh, examining the black experience in America he based did. on his experience. And he was, he not only communicated with the uh, African American audience, but with everybody. Oh, yeah. And it was universal themes. I mean, it, it, which was ultimately what made it what it was. And plus, he was a trailblazer. And then he opened the door for black comedians who, you know, have, have, have just uh, learned from him and have continued it to this day. Um, you know, yeah, Red Fox and Moms Mabley just had a heart attack when you said that. Uh, well, <laughs> they, they preceded him by so much. Well, that's true. I mean, it goes way back, of course. I mean, uh, but, you know, he kind of was a, he was a breakthrough. Uh, a I take your point. Yep. Um, so where do you think comedy is today? I don't think comedy is very far from where it always has been. I mean, interestingly, uh, Comedy Central is, what, 30 years old? Right. That's a long time. That's a big run. That's Incredible. a big run for a comedy entity. Okay, now let's look at Saturday Night Live. I don't even know. What are they, 40 years old? I think they started like late 70s. I remember yeah, the, the right. first... The right. I mean, the first political thing they did was Chevy Chase making fun of uh, Gerald Ford, right? And that was 75. And, right. So and, they, my point is, that's been around forever, and it's been a staple of comedy. As a matter of fact, at Comedy Central, that was one of the first acquisitions that we made, was the library, was the, the uh, SNL library. And previously, those things had not been seen again. Oh, that must so be worth we a fortune them, today. We, we put... <laughs> Right. I don't, for, to us, believe me, it was a fortune. I think we had to mortgage our souls to get that stuff. But it was very important to us because it was, you know, an important part of comedy. But my point is, you got Comedy Central survive, not surviving, thriving. You got uh, Saturday Night Live is thriving. I mean, these are, these are pretty much stakes in the ground for comedy. And then, you know, some of the comedians today harken back to Seinfeld, I think, you know. Um, and some of the other comics are not, you know, there are, listen, there are comics who are really departing and I am not an expert on today's comedy scene, but you know, some of the younger comics are not, not doing sort of the, the same kinds of things as, as Seinfeld does or did, but some of them are. So I, you know, again, I think comedy reinvents itself constantly, uh, but circles around the same place. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a mirror reflection of our society. It allows us to make you know enjoy kind of a a, a a reportage that's not otherwise allowed in in straight uh thinking and and uh and that's important it's, it goes back i mean it's uh probably in ancient times they had comedians i mean it's just uh it's an organic entity it's a it's an institution so uh just uh to 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 wrap it up talk a little bit about your book it's coming out in september um what are the highlights that we should expect well, let me say that Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor is a memoir. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's, it's really the story of getting comedy channel and comedy central 
up and running against incredible odds from my point of view. It's not, you know, it's, it, it, all the aspects of it are there, I'm sure, but it's not a, uh, a history as such. Okay. And it's certainly not an autobiography of me where I talk about, oh, I was born in an early age. I grew up on the Jersey Shore. I mean, you know, there's a little bit of that, but mostly I am talking about the, from the time I pitched comedy to the time I left comedy, which was in the mid nineties and how we fought, how we fought to keep that channel alive when a lot of people thought it was failing and mm -hmm. not going to make it. And I, I would imagine we can expect a lot of interesting sort of inside insights from the many people that you've um, rubbed shoulders with all those years. It is a very good look behind the scenes at, uh, at what was going on in comedy. Not only what the, what the performers were doing and thinking, uh, which sometimes defied belief, um, but also just, you know, the machinations of putting together a channel when you have on one side, a, a group of talent who wants to do all kinds of things. And on the other side, you have businessmen, you know, our bosses who were in this for the money. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. they like comedy and they thought it was a good idea, but they wanted to make sure that this thing was successful. And it was, sometimes those things were at cross purposes. So it's really that story. I understand. And it seems to me, Art, that you were able to merge those two elements as an economist and as a great admirer of comedy, you had both sides of the brain working together. So, you know, that's what it took to, to make a business. But I mean, my final question here is why did you lose your sense of humor? Well, that goes directly to uh, the first few months after we launched. Mm -hmm. um, almost immediately after we launched and everybody was on the edge of their seats to see comedy, you know, see the, the comedy channel that HBO was putting together. But almost immediately after we launched, we got creamed by the critics, uh. panned by everybody. And three months into it, we started to develop an audience, but it wasn't going all that great, I gotta tell you. And mm -hmm. we were called in, I was called in by, uh, with a couple other guys, um, by the chairman of HBO, Michael Fuchs. And he looked at us and he said, you know, it took a comedy channel to get me to lose my sense of humor. No. And he wasn't nobody, exactly he wasn't exactly rolling in the aisles at that meeting. It, 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 and I looked around, nobody was nobody was laughing. And yeah. I realized at that moment we'd lost our sense of humor. But that's you know, I really wanted to express how difficult this whole thing was. Yeah. Well then I'm looking forward to the book art and um it should be out on the bookshelves in September. Art Bell is it is, um, it is available for pre Oh, so then it's already available on Amazon? On Amazon. Oh look it up excellent okay yes. so uh, art bells pre-order pre-order on amazon then art bells the author of the memoir constant comedy how i started comedy central and lost my sense of humor listen art i really want to thank you for joining me today uh, thank you thank you for having me i enjoyed it all right have a